Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon from our series, Followers, a study on the specs. For more information about specs or how to get involved with CBC, visit us on the website, cbcsavannah.com. Father in heaven, um, your word reveals that you are good. And, and Lord, we look around and sometimes things are not good. We see brokenness, we see loss, we see pain. And sometimes it leads us to question whether or not you really are good. But we know you are good. If you have demonstrated your goodness, you have proved it to us. And that while we were sinners destined for, for wrath, you gave us life in Jesus our Savior. And so we know you are good. And if you give us him, then, then what, what will you hold back? But yet we, we live in this broken world. We live in a broken time. We see just struggles and, and some of us are there. Some of us came this morning and that's where we are at. And so I ask that, that our time in, in the word and that as we reflect on truth and we listen to the, the literal words of Jesus, that we would find life, that we would find strength, that we would find hope, even just enough for today, because you promise our daily bread, not our weekly, but our daily. And so just give us that right now. I pray that your spirit would fill me, help me, empower me, um, Lord, I want this to be a, a just refreshing series for us as we continue to talk about these things and that the church would be built upon the rock that is Christ, our cornerstone, rejected by men, but a choice and precious in your sight, O oh Father. And so for his glory, please help me to get out of the way. Please help me to any agenda I have or any false motives I have, just I, I confess them that I want Christ to be worshiped and exalted and I want to build his church upon him. And so by your spirit, help me to do that, Lord Jesus. For your name's sake, I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. It is good to be back with y'all. Some of y'all thought I got fired. I know. Sometimes I'm close, but not quite. Um, Thankful for, here's what's really cool about the way we do things here. And, and, And it's you know, like, oh, Fowler, it must not work anymore because he hadn't been in here for two weeks. That's by design. The elders asked me to kind of step back a little bit in July, give me a break. I told them I would preach once. And so, uh, and some of you are like, well, that's not fair. It's actually a beautiful thing for our church because it does two things. Number one, it refreshes my soul. Um, and number two, it reminds the church that, that we are built on one person and one person alone, and that is Jesus. And no one on this stage or in this audience can, can carry that load. Uh, only Christ can. And so we got way gifted teachers here. And so William and, and David got the opportunity the last couple weeks. And you're going to hear from them again in the next couple weeks. Uh, it's just a good thing for us. I have seen y'all churches that are built around one guy, one personality. And, and when that, something happens to that guy, like it happened a few weeks ago, locally to a, to a pretty big church in South Carolina, it, it often falls apart because it was built on, on, on sand instead of the rock that is Christ. So it is a good thing if we have diversity on staff and, and, and as we teach. So I'm excited about that. But I'm also excited to be back with you. And I am excited for, because it is the time of the year where, number one, school is almost back. <laughs> right? Everyone's like, yeah. The only people that are not excited besides the kids are teachers and homeschooling moms. All right, they're like, no. Okay, so I'm excited about that, and I'm excited about football. All right, come on. All right, so, yeah. Even though Georgia's not going to do it again this year, I'm excited about football. All right? And if you're like your high school student, you know, if you're a fall sports person, some of you are, my daughter, fall sports person, it, it's camp time, right? We got two days coming up. We got camp coming up. We got drills. We got burpees. We got sweat. We got all sorts of fun stuff for these students in the next couple weeks. And, and, and for those who have been in that world, which is a great world, by the way, think about what, what's the purpose of two-a-days? I mean, why do you bring these kids out? Why do they got to practice for six hours? Why, is it, does this high school student forget how to tackle? Does he not know how to catch anymore? Can he not throw a football anymore? Does he know how to run? It's not that. The reason you have camps and, and, and practice and training and all these things is to get back to the fundamentals, so that when the season starts, you're not having to tell this guy, this is how you tackle. Remember, you do this, you do that. It's already part of his second nature. It's already part of his DNA. He does it intrinsically. 
Because he's, he's repeated it, he's heard it, he's done it so many times. It's just, it's just second nature. This series we started a couple weeks ago, we call it Followers. It's a lot like that. This is training camp. We're about to jump into school and community groups started again. And we heard it in announcements, kids are starting at 14 and we're going to be busy. Not super busy, but busy enough. It's about to jump back in. And what we want is for some of these things that we talk about to just be part of your second nature. It's part of your DNA. All right, that, that everybody that comes to this church, if this is your church, or for that matter, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, that you would know what it is that Jesus has called you to. All right, and, and let me just give you a hint. He didn't call you to go to church. I mean, yeah, we go to church, that's good, right? But Jesus did not leave heaven, take on humanity, be born in a manger, live a perfect life, be persecuted, suffer and die on a cross and rise again, all so that you can wake up early on Sunday to sing a couple songs. That was not why he did that, all right? He did it because he, went, he has called you to something and he has made you something. And so now you are his follower and that means you are to follow, right? To follow. And so what we've done is, is kind of a, a leadership team We've kind of looked at the scan, the New Testament, the Gospels, Jesus says, what his apostles said. And we've identified these characteristics of a follower. And we've kind of, you know, there's thousands of them, but we narrowed them down into five big picture things because I'm the PE major and I need it simple, right? And so this is what we're shooting at. We call them our specs, S-P-E-C-S. You've heard it before if you've been here, but we come back to it. Why? Because we're doing drills, because we want it to be part of your nature. And so these are the five things we're shooting at. This is the target. We're not just kind of aimless. We want to see these things maturing. So we're going to gather and we're going to grow together in these things. And, and we're going to see these things manifest and we're going to be shooting at these things. And through community and through the Bible, we're going to be equipping these things. But that's not the end game. The end game is not so we're like, yeah, we got a great group of folks that know the Bible, knew, knew all these things. The end game is not here. The end game then is so that we would flood the city of Savannah and Chatham County and Bryan County and beyond with people who love God. And because they love God, they love the things that God loves. And what does God love? God so loves the world. So that because out of your love for God, then you're going and loving people. And that the great commandment, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, that would fuel the great commission. There's no making disciples apart from love of God. Okay, that's the fuel, that is the motivation. I love God so much. Well, I love people. I love people so much because I love you, God. That is what we want. And so we're looking for these five things and these followers who are on mission, that are living their life that way. Not that are like, I can't believe the world is so bad. I mean, look, we're gonna have a bad president either way. And we are. Unless you vote for me, I promise I'll be a good president. <laughs> the world is so bad, we better get ready for it. And, and what God is saying, yeah, the world is so bad. You have been raised for such a time as this because the darker it is, the lighter my light shines. So we, that's, that's our goal. It's not to hide in here and talk about how bad it is. It's to get out there and be his followers, Right? And, and so the five things, the S, the P, the E, C, the S, we looked at first week one, S, scripture. And, and that does not mean quiet time. I know some of you are like, yeah, scripture, quiet time, did that, woo, got that checked off. Yeah, that, that's, that's good. I'm glad you read your Bible. The idea though is not just a bunch of people who do a quiet time. The idea is when Jesus speaks, his sheep listen. That we place ourselves under the authority of scripture and that we follow. That's what Jesus says my sheep do. That's what a follower does. They listen to scripture. It's not, well, the world says this and Jesus says this. Well, the world is more popular. We'll go with that. No, Jesus says this, his word lasts forever. We listen to him, even if it goes against what the world says. That's a follower. P, prayer. That we are a people because we listen to the voice of the shepherd, we actually talk to the shepherd. Not just like, oh, I had my, my five minutes in the morning, that I have a lifetime of just communication with God. It might be just like I text my wife like 18 times a day and she texts me. It might be like, hey, baby, how you doing? All right. Now I'm not saying that to God, but I'm like, hey, God, how are you doing? Okay. But whatever it is, there's a constant communication in the car, in the shower, before I eat, in my office, help me, Lord, I need this. And thank you, Lord, for this. It's just constant. All right. That's, that's what we want. We want to see people listening to Jesus and talking to Jesus. 
And then we have ECS. Now, I, I, those first two deal with your vertical relationship with God. The last three, they deal with our horizontal relationship with others. I'm gonna do something now that's gonna bother some of you so badly and I don't even care. I am going to skip E and C. I know that bugs some of you really badly. Like you engineers, you got your little journals. Like I had E, a whole page for E and Fowler was supposed to do E. I'm not doing E just to spite you. But what I am gonna do is I'm gonna jump to the S at the end and I'm gonna let Kane do E in a couple weeks because he's kind of over outreach and equipping for that. And I'm gonna let David do C because he's over community groups next week. I'm gonna take the S. And the S, the final S is stewardship. It's stewardship, right? And, and some of you, that, that's kind of a you know, fancy Christian word. It just means manager. A steward is a manager. A follower is a manager. And, and what we're going to talk about is what does it look like to live as a manager? What, what does it mean to be a steward? And, and the answer, the simple answer is not tithe. Okay, that, that's like one piece of it. This is not a sermon on tithe. I know some of you are thinking, oh, here it comes. They bring Fowler back just to preach on money. Got to bring the big guy up. Big guy's only 5'6", so he's not that big. This is not a sermon necessarily on money. Because I think money's easy for a lot of us, really. Right? This is bigger than that. This is your life as a steward. What does that look like? Right? We're going to look at Jesus' words. We're just going to look at a parable. Very simple parable, very straightforward parable, where Jesus tells a story about stewardship. If you're new to the Bible, you're like, what's a parable? A parable is just a story that has a point. It usually has one big picture point. And it's usually very cultural. So Jesus is not going to, he's going to talk about farming and things like that because he lives in an agrarian society, right? So he's going he's to hit the people right where they're at, tell them a very simple story with a very simple point, And we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 25. So go ahead, if you have a Bible, turn there, Matthew 25. And this story, this parable is, is in what's called the Olivet Discourse. Fancy word, it just means Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he's preaching. Mount of Olives is a mountain outside Jerusalem. He often taught there. It is a very important place because not only did Jesus teach there a lot, but he also, that is where he ascends back into heaven. And guess what? That's also, according to Zechariah, where he is going to come back one day. He's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two. All right, so it's a very important place as far as historically and in Christendom. Um, Jesus is teaching his disciples and it's his last week on earth. And it's, he's getting them ready for his departure. And ultimately he's teaching them what it means to be ready for his final return when he comes back to set up the kingdom. So he's telling them, hey, I, his, it's probably Wednesday. He gets crucified on Friday. He's got two days left. So he is, he's digging in with his boys. And teaching them what they need to know because he's about to leave. And so he's getting them ready for that. And in the context, he just says, he says, watch. You don't know the day or the hour when I'm coming back. He just told a parable about it. He says, you don't know the day, so I want you to be ready. I want you to look. I want you, I want you to be on guard, right? And so then he tells this parable, the second parable, what it looks like to be ready as a steward. So he says this, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Very familiar for them. They got landowners. Landowners often go on trips. And so before they did, they would give out their resources. Here, this is for you. This is for you. Take care of this. I'll be back. I'll be back, right? So very common for them. And so before he goes on this journey, he entrusts these guys. So to one, he gives five talents. Another, he gives two. Another, he gives one. And he goes. Key phrase, according to their ability, all right? It's according to their ability. And here's where there's a little bit of confusion. Because some of you hear that, he gave five talents. Some, some of you, first thing you think of is, America's got talent, right? You're like, yeah, he gave juggling skills to this dude. And this guy over here, he can do card tricks. And that guy over there, he's a singer, right? So you ought to do juggling for Jesus. And you ought to do singing for Jesus. And you ought to do card tricks for Jesus. Amen, let's go home, right? That's, that's good and that is true. But that has nothing to do with what he's talking about. A talent is actually a measure of money, okay? A talent is the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. If you have a big old fat study Bible, this tells you all this in the bottom. But it's a, one talent is the equivalent of 20 years salary. And if the average person's salary in America is 50 grand, then that means one talent equals about a million dollars. 
So it's a big amount of money. And so it's the one guy, he gives five mil. To one guy, he gives two mil. To the other guy, he gives one mil. And it's all according to their ability. So the first guy comes in, he's like, this cat's talented. He's got gifts. Visionary, multitasker, sleeps three hours a night, reads four books a week. This guy gets five million. Next guy comes in, you know, he's not as gifted, but he's got some gifts. You know, he's kind of organized. He's like, this guy gets two million. Next guy comes in, he's got like breakfast burrito on his face still. Shirt's kind of out, you know, he's got, he's got the wife beater on. And he's like, okay, I got to give him something. Here's one talent for this guy, right? And then he goes away. It, it's according to their ability. And then he leaves. First thing that happens, verse 16. The one who received five talents, it's emphatic in the Greek text. First thing it says, he went out at once. He gets busy. He's on it. Mr. Vision, Mr. Task, Mr. Reading Books, Mr. Go. He boom. And before you know it, he's got double the money. $10 million. Big money. Mr. Mr. Two, he does the same thing. He also with two. He makes two more. He's got four. Double it up. 100% return. Good stuff. How about Mr. Breakfast Burrito? He would receive the one talent, went and dug it in the ground and hit his master's money. What does he do? Nothing. Zip. Digs a hole. Right? After a long time, how long? Doesn't say. How long has Jesus been gone? About 2,000 years. How much longer? Who knows? Don't know. But after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled the accounts. This is what a manager does, by the way. The stuff's not theirs. They have to give an account. So when he comes home, he's going to say, okay, give you five. What you got? How'd you do it? So he comes to settle the accounts. And notice the response of the first guy. I love it. He's excited. He who had received the five talents, he comes forward and he, and he brings his five more. And he says, master, you gave me five. Here's five more. Isn't that awesome? You just sense the excitement, right? You gave me this and this is what I got. This is what I'm able to do with it. And look at the response of the master. He says, well done. You could translate it, outstanding. You good, you faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. And my thought is, $5 million ain't a little. I'll take $5 million, not a little. Someone give me a little? He says, but we'll come back to that. But he says, I will set you over much now. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done. Guy with the two. He comes forward and says, master, you gave me two. Here's two more. And notice the response. He gets the exact same response as the five talent guy. And me, in my American ways, thinks that is not fair. Because he's got six more. This guy's got 10. This guy's only got four. Why does he get the same commendation? He gets the same raise. He gets the same promotion. Why is that? Well, we'll talk to that in a little bit. But he says the exact same thing. Well done. You've been faithful with a little. Now you get much. Enter in a joy. How about Mr. Breakfast Burrito Wife Beater? He who received the one came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. He's already making excuses, notice. Reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you scattered, no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here. here's what's yours, right? Did nothing with it, but at least I didn't lose it, right? And notice the response of the master. You wicked and slothful servant. Wicked. I mean, think about that. Was he really wicked? I mean, when I think of wicked, I'm thinking, you know, Dallas Cowboys, wicked, right? I'm thinking Atlanta Braves, wicked. I'm thinking sinful things, wicked. What did he do? I mean, he didn't go out and like buy a bunch of camels and have a bunch of Hebrew rave parties or something. What did he do? He did nothing. He did nothing. And he, and he calls him wicked. Understand this, church. Sometimes doing nothing is sin. Okay? Sometimes doing nothing is sin. And the, and the response of the master, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I, ha- I scattered no seed. Notice the question mark at the end of that. The editors of the ESV have put a question mark there because I think they rightly interpret this, not as, as the master agreeing with him, but saying in essence, if you thought that's who I was, if you were so scared of me, if you thought I was such a bad guy, then at least you could have taken my money to the bank 
And at my coming, I would have received what was my own with interest. I mean, if you thought I was such a mean, scary dude, you could have taken that one talent and walked a quarter mile down to the bank of Bethlehem and put it there and done nothing else. And at least I would have had interest. As it is, I've actually lost money because of inflation. Now my one million is worth less than a million. Right? You could have done the minimum if I'm such a mean guy, but you didn't. So he says, take it away. Take the talent from him, give it to the one with 10. For everyone who has more will be given and, he, and will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will take away. If you don't use what you got, you're going to lose it. Use it or lose it. You use it, you're going to get more. That's what he's saying. And then look at what happens at the end. And cast that worthless, that useless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He is cast into hell. Now understand this. This is not a parable on how to get to heaven. All right, that's not the point of this parable. This is a parable on stewardship. So you can't say, yeah, if y'all don't tithe, you're going to hell. That's not what it is saying. Okay, this has nothing to do with how to get to heaven, how to get to hell. This has everything to do with stewardship. What we're going to see is the reason this guy is cast into hell is not because he was a bad steward, but because he doesn't know the master. And you know he doesn't know the master because the way he lives his life. He's all about himself. So, so we'll come back to that. But I, I want to talk, just give you guys some, some big picture principles about stewardship from this it's kind of straightforward parable. What can we learn about stewardship, both from the good guy and the bad guy? Here's the first thing, right? And, and again, none of this stuff is probably going to be new, but that's okay. Because this is the drills. This is learning to tackle. This is learning to serve. This is the simplistic things that we need to keep coming back to so it becomes part of our DNA. And the first point is probably the most important. So if you're like gonna jam early or you're like mad at me or some reason I've said something, at least get point one before you leave, all right? Because here's the biggest point. Number one is this, is the principle that God owns it all. And I know for some of you and most of you, that is very Christianese. I get it. Most of us will say, yeah, because we live in the South. And so we're kind of God-fearing people. Yeah, everything's God's. God owns it all. Amen. And we say that, but I think very few of us live it, including myself. Let me, let me illustrate this to you from a parable about, from, from my dog, Milton. You guys, many of you have been coming up to me. How's Milton? How's the dog? I'm requesting Milton stories. So let me give you a Milton story, Okay. Milton loves his daddy. Milton knows that daddy is the master of the house, that he is the provider, that he gives him good things, that he gives him flea medicine, that he feeds him, that he walks him when he needs to be walked. Milton acknowledges all this and loves me. All right? And if I tell Milton, you want to eat? He will wag his tail he will do this thing, we call it the butt swing. He jumps around and turns around and he, he gets so excited and so we'll run to, the, to his bowl and I'll go down and I'll scoop out the food and I'll pour it in his bowl. And the moment that I pour that food into his dish, he becomes a different dog. He becomes demon-possessed Milton. I mean, it is like a light switch. He's happy, he's tail, he's everything. And immediately he hears the noise of that food going into the dish and he starts growling at me. He won't even look at me. And if you take a step towards his dish, I mean, it's, it is, and, and I'm standing in awe. I'm like, it's like he thinks that I want to get down on all fours and put my face in his dish and eat that nasty food. That's what he believes, right? And I just walk by, I, can't, I gotta like kind of scoot around him because I think he's gonna be like Cujo or something and, like, and jump out at me. And then he eats and he's fine. He's back, he's filled with the Holy Spirit again. He's all happy. <laughs> but I mean, think about how ridiculous that is that I would get down and eat that dog food. I am giving you the food because I want you to be a happy dog. I'm providing for you. I am loving you. I am giving you stuff so that you would be happy and healthy and live out your dog years. I don't, I'm not jealous over your food, but this is, this is exactly what we do in our lives. God pours out his blessings in our dish. And as soon as he does, it's like we turn into demon-possessed dogs. 
this is mine. Don't, don't take this away from me. You, you, don't, you want me to be miserable. You want me to use this for, for things that I will make me sad. And, and God is saying, yeah, I'm real jealous of that dog food. Yeah, I'm really jealous of that money because I need it. Because, you know, the, the 7-Eleven in heaven, it takes credit cards now too. It, it, like, God needs your money or God needs your talent or God needs your resources or God doesn't have enough connections. So he needs yours and he needs how your giftedness. It's just, it's just as ridiculous because it's all a gift. Everything you have is a gift. Your hard working ability, you're like, well, yeah, I've been working hard. I've been going to school. Yeah, and how, how can you do that? Because God fills your airs with your lungs with air just now. And he just caused your heart to beat again a couple times. And he provides your food and he provides your, your, your everything. It's a gift, right? It's a gift. And it, look, it's, we have to start here because this drives everything else. Because what we wanna be doing in our hearts and in our church is cultivating a heart of gratitude, of cultivating thankfulness in our hearts, whether God has made you the five talent guy, the two talent guy, or you're Mr. Burrito on the face guy, whatever it is, that you're just grateful that God has given you anything, just anything. It's so easy to lose sight of that and become Milton, y'all. It is, it just so is. I mean, have you, have you, have you ever just come into some money Maybe you got a tax return. You're like, man, I got $2,500 back. Awesome. Or maybe someone gives you a check for $1,000 just for like, hey, man, just grandma says, hey, Merry Christmas, right? Whatever it is, you come into some money. What's the first thing you think of? Now, I know if you're married, it's something like this. My wife's like, where are we going? What are we going to spend it on? And I'm like, how are we going to save it? What are we going to pay off? That's just the way we both think. And some of you are that way too, Right? So you're like, oh, what are we going to do? I got $2,500, isn't that great? And then without doubt, it always happens. It happens to me. Then you hear about some need. You know, so-and-so, man, they're trying to adopt a kid. Or so-and-so is going on a missions trip and they're still short $400. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, I can't give them $400 because then I only have $2,100 left. Right? You know what that is? That's, that's Milton. And God is saying, you had how much before that? Zero. Now you don't want to give $400 out of the $2,500 that I gave you, which still leaves you, for you who are public school students, $2,100. Right? Okay, so, but that's the way it is with everything. It's a gift. It's a gift. And if, we're, if we, we don't cultivate thankfulness, you know what? you're not gonna be a good steward. Because when you do, it, it gets your eyes off the gift and it gets it on the giver, which is what we want because we are fueled by our love for God and everything else flows out of that. So if it doesn't start looking up and being thankful, then you're not gonna be a good steward. You're just not. That's where it starts. Let me give you some homework. I know it's summer, but you're gonna do homework. Um, and this is important. I just took my daughter. I was out in a ranch in California called the JH Ranch. Took my son a couple years ago, just a, a great time. They have all these little mottos that I kind of write down and things. And here's one of the ones I, that I constantly come back to that they, that they teach out there. That, it, that if you hear something, then you will forget it. You see something, you'll remember, you do, and you'll understand. Some of you come here, you hear a sermon, you forget it before you get to Barnes. Some of you take notes, so you remember it, but you remember it kind of like next time we get through Matthew or next time we come, oh yeah, we did this three years ago to see it. Okay, but some of you actually do it and you're the ones who get it. And I want you to do this, okay? So don't hear it, don't, don't just see it. I want you to do it. I want you to take 30 minutes this week. Get your little journal out, get your little piece of paper out, whatever you do, maybe you're kind of nerdy, you do your quiet time on your like, you know, phone, fine, whatever. Get whatever you can write down and I want you to spend 30 minutes and I want you to identify the gifts that God has given you, okay? And I mean everything. Like, oh, I'm alive today, gift, right? You're like, I got a house. It's not my dream house, and I'll have new countertops. And I, you know what? The last time it rained, you stayed dry. That's called gift. And you know what? You don't have the perfect job because, you know, I don't know, it's not my dream job, but you know, it's a job. You know, my dream job is playing shortstop for the Phillies. Not gonna happen. It's okay, though. Got a job. 
And last time I got hungry and there was no food, you know what I did? I went out and I bought it because God gave me a job and he's provided for me so I can be thankful. And I got a car. It's not a Ferrari. It's a Honda. But it got me here, right? And I'm thankful. And so just identify. Identify the physical gifts. What, what are you good at? I'm really, I'm a pretty good athlete. I, I, I'm a pretty good money manager. I, I, I can do multitask. Just start writing it down. I'm telling you, you'll have pages. If you really, if you do it honestly, you'll have pages. Because I, I just want you to cultivate thankfulness. Like, I, it, just, it, it just needs to be part of who we are. It's so much easier to live as a steward, to hold things loosely when you're thankful. It's a big piece, right? That's the first piece. God owns it all. Second piece is this, is that God gifts each person uniquely. He gives one guy five, he gives one guy two, he gives one guy one, right? Well, who gets to determine that? The master. Well, why? Because it's a bad question. Because he's God and you're not. So hush. That's the idea. Here's the thing. I know this is America. Get it. God is not obligated to treat you like he treats everyone else. Do you realize that? He is not obligated to do so. Some of you are going to have more money. Some of you are going to have less. Some of you are going to be at a multitask. Some of you can't do one thing. Right? Some of you are going to be tall. Some of you are going to be beautifully short. It's okay. You're going to have, some of you are going to have great connections, no connections. Great intelligence, PE major. You know what? That is fine. Right? This person's going to be born in California. This person's going to be born in Portugal. And this person gets to be born in, in Russia. And this person lives in this generation. And this person lives in this. Some of you, you missed the 80s. I'm sorry. You would have loved it. It was a great generation. But you're born after. Right? So, but that's, that's not your... You don't need to wonder why. That's not up to you. You have two choices. You can either one, complain and gripe and, and make excuses and compare. Well, it's not fair. You can do that. Or you can get busy where you at right now. Not all of you going to have equal talent. That's okay. Not all of you going to go to Harvard. Some of you going to be Georgia Southern. That's close. Harvard, Georgia right? That's Okay. You don't get to choose what you've been given. You get to choose how you use what you've been given. You don't get to choose your position. You get to choose your disposition, right? We're not all equal, but we all have opportunity to impact the kingdom of God, to invest in eternity. All of us have it. Some big, some small. And let me just give you a hint. You want, you want, a, you want a, an investment that lasts, a guaranteed investment that will be a thousand times, you know, worth more than it is now. I mean, if I told you, hey, I got a stock for you, you can get it for a dollar a share. It'll be worth a thousand a share in a year, guaranteed. If, I, if that's true, you would be foolish not to invest. You would be foolish not to invest in eternity. And there's only two things that last. Two things that will make it forever and ever. Number one, the word of God. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. Grass withers, flower falls off, word of the Lord endures forever. So you invest in the word of God. And number two, people. People will live forever, either in heaven or either in hell, but they will last forever. You invest in those two things, I promise you, guaranteed investment. That's why as a church, we've chose to pour a lot of money into the seed corporation organization, because what are they doing? They're translating the Bible in different languages for people. We're getting a two for one deal. Bible and the word of God and people. Gold. Right? But those two things will last forever. And God has given you opportunities in there. You're not responsible for the size of the opportunities. You are responsible for your response to those opportunities. Some of you are big, some of you are small. Some of you are doctor, dentist. You can go down to, to a third world country on your three weeks off and you're going to be able to serve people and, and do things for things that I can't do. Great opportunity. Some of you are a wizard with the grill, right? I mean, so you, you're the guy that asks, how do you like your steak? Medium, medium, well, I'm just like, how do you like your steak? Cooked, uncooked? <laughs> you want a burger brown or red? We don't know how it's going to turn out, but it will be, you know, you're not going to die. But you're that guy. You're like, yeah, I got a 167 degrees perfect. I get the weird thermometer. You're the, and so, so for, that, for you, an opportunity might be, hey, you're that guy, put on your funny hat, your little jacket, because you know you have your little chef thing. I know you do. And bring people over your house and build relationships. 
Maybe God opens the door for you to share the gospel. Some of you are great athletes. You're a great golfer. You can go on the golf course. Somebody will come play golf with you that will never come to this church. So you have an opportunity there on the golf course, four and a half, seven and a half hours, however long it takes y'all to play. That's a, that's a guy that's just stuck there in the cart with you as you work in and out of the trees. Opportunity, right? Some of you kids love you and he's like, they gravitate to you. Man, you ought to be coaching soccer or coaching baseball. You ought to be doing something like that. Volunteering at your kids' after school program. Something. Some of you, man, you're just prayer warriors. And so you can be that person that's in your closet praying for that person, right? That's it. Some of you, that weirdo that likes to paint. There's a few of y'all. And your neighbor's like, hey, I'm painting the den. You're like, I'm there Saturday morning. Mr. Miyagi, paint the fence side to side. I'm there. Get me in there. That's your gift. That's where you're wired. And you can use that to to reach that person and serve that person. These are opportunities. Some of you are married. Some of you got married because you were attractive. Some of you got married because you were smooth and you had charm and you fooled somebody into thinking you were a better catch than you were. It's called having game. Whatever it is, now you're married. And, and you have an opportunity to display the worth of Christ. Men, you can continue to romance your wife and treat them like you did when you were dating him rather than walking around in a wife beater belching all day long. You have an opportunity to do that. And ladies, you have an opportunity to either tear down or build up your house. I, I don't know if you realize the power, ladies, that you've been given in your marriage and in your home. You literally have the ability to build or tear down your house. Okay, that, that is biblical, that you can destroy or build. It's an opportunity. Are you gonna seize it? Some of you are single. You have more time and more money now than you ever have. You're like, no way. I promise. <laughs> I promise. Do you know how much diapers cost? Do you know how much children cost when they get into high school? Oh my gracious. You have more time. You can go to wherever you want, anytime. You can go mission trip conference. You can be up until two in the morning praying with this person in a coffee shop. You have time and energy now. You Trust me, after 40, you got no energy. You're gonna use that. All right, your finances. Not just a 10% check to the church. That's great. We are grateful for that. We have a generous church. But I'm talking about, hey, this person in my community group, they, they could use a new air conditioner. It's more than 10%, right? These are the areas you're thinking about, you're praying about, you're looking for opportunities to seize. Our time, everyone has the same amount of time. And I want to be very careful because there is a mentality in the church and I don't want us falling into it that God is anti-fun, anti-relaxation, anti-hobbies. He is not. I mean, there's some that'll be like, oh, can't go down to Tybee and surfing. What if Jesus comes back and I'm surfing? He'll be mad at me because I'm on a surfboard and not reading my Bible. That, that's, that's not biblical. There's this, actually a quote I read about Luther who was working in his garden um, and he was asked, hey, what if Jesus comes back right now? What, what would you be doing? If you knew Jesus come back later today, what would you do? He said, you keep working the garden. Really? Yeah, is there anything wrong with working in the garden as if that's bad, right? It's, it, the idea is you're using your time and you're just not ashamed. Now, let me say this. If you are spending four hours a day watching some sitcom and you haven't spent any time with Jesus in like a month, that's a problem. If the only interaction you have with other people is on Facebook yelling about your candidate, that is a problem. If you are 40 years old, and you are downtown playing Pokemon Go. I will not feel bad if you get run over by a bus. I promise you, that is the discipline of the Lord for being a bad steward of your time. God is not anti-fun, but hey, evaluate your time. One of the things they constantly, again, at that ranch I was at, they say that a life unevaluated is a life not worth living. Evaluate your life. T- take some time and say, where am I spending my money? Where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my energy? I'm spending four hours a day on TV. I have an exercise in six months. All right? Your body's a temple. Take care of it. I mean, I'm not saying don't eat barbecue and drink a Coke once in a while, but really, you have a body, one body God's given you. You got one life. You only live once. 
But if you live it right, once is enough. Right? So here's, that's the idea we're talking about is using it wisely. And the beauty of this whole deal, y'all, is this should be hugely encouraging because some of you are like me and you're the, you're the burrito in the face guy. You're not super gifted, talented, smart guy. You're not multitasking guy. You, you guys think just because I, get, I can come up here, you're like, yeah, but Fowler's really smart. He went to like Harvard. 2-0 and go, baby. That was me. I was, I mean, I was C for complete. Why do you think I was a PE major? It wasn't because it was my dream to be a PE teacher, I can tell you. But this is just the way God's wired me. I can move around and talk to people. And so here I am. Not super smart. I can tell you I'm one of the least intelligent guys on the staff. Talk to Cleland, talk to Kane. These guys are monsters' brains. They just are. It's just how I'm wired. And it's great. That's the beauty. Because one day when you stand before Jesus, and make no mistake, you will. You will stand before Jesus. All right? You will, the beauty of it is you're not going to be standing next to Billy Graham. He's not going to oh, Billy just did all this. What do you got, Fowler? major right you're not going to be like behind the apostle Paul like great I got to follow Paul (laughs) you will only be accountable for what God has given you isn't that a great thing that's a great thing so I mean the guy that gets five and the guy that gets two they get the same commendation if the guy with the burrito on his face Mr. One if he would have done anything he would have got the same commendation that's the beauty of the way this works. You see, you don't have to say, well, I'm just a high school student. Well, I'm just this. I'll never get to go to this. I'll never be able to do this. That's okay. You seize the opportunities God's given you right in front of your face. You don't have to go to Russia, Africa. Maybe God sends you there. Maybe he sends you to Pooler, which is just as bad as Russia. <laughs> just kidding. But the, what, the fields are ripe. We, honestly, y'all, the nations have actually come to us. Do you realize that? You work at Gulfstream, right? How many of y'all work at Gulfstream? A bunch of y'all. The nations are at Gulfstream. How many, how many people from Asia are at Gulfstream? How many people from the Middle East work there? How many people downtown? The nations are coming to us. It's just, you gotta lift your eyes. You gotta seize opportunities God has given you. We're not, we're not here to go to church, y'all. If, this, if that's your mentality, you're just, well, I'm just going to church, then this is not the church for you because we do not want to sit around and do nothing. Sorry. You look around. There's, some of you had a hard time finding a seat, and I'm sorry about that. But if you're not anxious to be going, don't take up a seat. Because we, got, we only got 750 of them. We only got two services. And Lord knows I ain't doing Saturday night service anymore. <laughs> so we have select seats for those who want to be going. Right? Here, just... Look for, here's your application. Look for opportunities to serve. Serve. You're no more like Jesus than when you're serving. Do you know that? Jesus says, I I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So when you serve, when you look for opportunities to serve, you are being like Christ. And sometimes God puts an opportunity to serve and it's right in your wheelhouse and you're like, dude, I am so gifted to this and God has opened the door. I love it. Beautiful. But you know what? A lot of times it's not in your wheelhouse. But see, that's the whole idea about being a servant. Here's our problem in American church. We're like, well, I don't really like that. And well, I'm not really good at that. And well, I don't really know how to do that. So I'm going to wait for something that's in my wheelhouse, which means I'm not going to do anything. You know, the idea of a servant is a servant does what's needed. I don't really ask my kids if they like cleaning their room. I don't really care. Because that's what's needed to be done right now. So you needed to go do it. Well, dad, it's not in my wheelhouse. I don't feel wired to clean. I don't really care. I'm the master. You're the servant. You do what's needed. Sometimes what you need to do is just look for the need. And, you, and I know here's what we do in church. Someone says, well, I'm really, I really have this need. Let me pray for you. Lord, meet their need. Maybe you're the meter of the needer. <laughs> right? Maybe she told you, and that means you need to move. And you're like, well, I'm not super gifted at that. Sometimes you're not going to be super gifted at that. You just need to be there. So as a church, here, let, me just, let me just highlight here. As a church, what we ask of our members, and if you're a member and, we, and, and a lot of you are, is that you would serve in one place. The idea for us is that you attend a service and you serve in a service. That's the idea, okay? Because we have 300 plus kids that are fifth grade and younger. 
It takes over 70 people on a Sunday just to deal with the kids in this building and to love on them and care for them. You know, well, I don't really like kids. Well, we can put you on security. We, we need you to be somewhere. The coffee ministry, the most vital ministry in the church. I mean, electricity means nothing. Coffee runs, right? These are just sitting, you're like, well, I'm not really, it doesn't matter if we're good or not. It, there's needs. That's why we have all those tables out front. And, and I was told before we need about 20 more people to serve in children to get the fall launch going. And we got some cool things planned for the kids in the fall. It's real low, it's not like prep for six hours. It's show up and love on kids. And high school girls, you are welcome in that ministry. We want you. I mean, it's perfect. Young couple, you are the dream. The 25-year-old that just got married, you need to be there tomorrow, right? It's, it's good for you. Trust me. It's a place to serve together. But this is just what we're doing. We serve each other. And, and here's what that is. That's the minimum. That's like the guy that's taking the money to the bank. Just to serve your own local church, that's kind of... That's kind of the basic. It's like you could have at least taken the money to the bank. You could have at least served your local church for 70 minutes on a Sunday. That's, that's the idea there. But the real ministry is out there. It's in your neighbor. It's when you see the widow, who, who, her yard is like this, and instead of complaining about it, you go cut it. Or you send one of your teenage boys to do it. Or you, hear, you see that single mom, and she's got like four kids, and she's going crazy. And you say, hey, bring the kids to my house. I got some Disney movies. You go out for the afternoon. Get a break. Seeing the need, meeting the need. Seizing. I just want us to seize the opportunity, y'all. Right? Seize. Two more things real quick. I know I'm going over, but I don't really care. Uh, point three is that good stewardship comes from knowing the master. And, and bottom line, the difference between the two good and the one bad is two of them knew the master and one of them didn't. I mean, the two first guys are like, Lord, look what I've done. They're excited. They love the master. They believe he's good. They trust him. They're anxious for him to come back. And notice there is no guilt. They're not like, man, he's going to be mean, mad if I don't make five million more. Man, I'm going to go. There's no guilt there. Do you ever read in the scripture, Jesus is like, you better do this because I'm going to smack you inside your head, Christian. I love you. And you don't see that. It's not guilt-driven ministry. It's I love God, and out of an overflow of love and worship, I serve. That's what we're talking about. That's what we want. The second guy, the third guy, Mr. Mr. Burrito on his face, he doesn't know the father. He thinks he's harsh and mean and not fair. You're not fair. You do this, you do that. I'm scared of you. It just shows he doesn't know God. Now, he's all around God's work. He doesn't know him. And here's my fear for us as a church, that some people here, you are checking a church box, but you have no heart for the master. Like you show up, you might even give, you might even take, do a quiet time and journal, but it has nothing to do with knowing or following or connecting with Jesus. It has everything to do with, look at me, I live in the South, I go to church. It's all about the why. Why do you do what you do? And what we want, we don't want that. We don't want someone to be deceived thinking, oh, they just jumped through a religious hoop because they always did. Know the master. That results in stewardship. And then the final one is this, no love is, is the result of good stewardship is joy. Not only on earth, because you know that the, you know, you know the most joyful people in your, in your life are the ones who are generous, who are serving. Isn't that the case? You see the people who are giving stuff away and they're serving and they're always joyful. Do you, have you ever been down to the three-year-old nursery? And seeing some of those ladies, they love it. I mean, they want to take your kids home with them, some of them. They just love, and I'm like, here, take my kids home, all of them, even the teenagers. Uh, but there's a joy there. They're just giving of themselves. And the people that, that, that realize that Jesus is telling the truth, that if you will give your life up, you will find it. They get it. But not only is there joy here, what does Jesus say? Enter into the joy of your master. Do you, I know we say this a lot, but do you realize, church, Jesus is for your joy? He is for your joy. I mean, how many times does he say things, come to me, you'll find life, life abundantly. You know, my yoke is, is easy. 
My burden is light. He is for your joy. Some of you don't believe that. You think, no, he just wants me to be miserable and hate life. That is not true. That is the enemy who has been the deceiver and the liar from the beginning. From Genesis 3 on till now, he has been trying to slander the father. He's not good. He's keeping stuff from you. Your father is for your joy. He has given you gifts because he knows when you use them for him, it brings joy. And not just joy here on earth. Can you picture the day, church, when you will stand before the good shepherd? You will look. I want you to think about this now because I know this is kind of pie in the sky for some of you. You are going to look into the eyes of Jesus of Nazareth. He is going to be looking right at you. Not, and you're going to be like, where's Paul? Is he behind me somewhere? He's going to look at you specifically. You whom he formed in your mother's womb. You who he knew before the foundation of the world. You who he chose to be his own. And, and can you imagine if you can hear the words, well done. You have been faithful with a little. Now, much. And to come back to that whole little thing, $5 million, not a little. $10 million, $4 million, not a little. But in, in light of the big scheme of the God who owns the universe... Five million's a little. And he says, you were faithful with this little thing. Now you get much. I don't even know what much means, but much must be good. Right? I mean, whatever much is, it's better than $10 million. I would like $10 million, but much is greater than that. And the reward for being faithful in a little is huge in the kingdom. And you say, well, I don't know what a little is. A little is taking a bottle of water to the guy across the street who's cutting his lawn and say, here, you look thirsty. Jesus says, you do that in my name, you've done it to me. It's, it's looking in the closet and seeing, I got like three extra Patagonia jackets that I don't wear. I'm gonna give it to that kid in the neighborhood because he's cold and he doesn't have one. He says, you've given someone your cloak when they're cold, you've given it to me. It's visiting someone when they're sick. You know, the family that's got the thing and you take a casserole and you put a little mask on you're like here you guys here's a meal and you get out he says you've done that for me that's little it's seemingly little but he says it's huge just like when he tells the widow who gives her two pennies she gave more than anybody else how she gave out of her her poverty I, what i want you to see is god has given some of you big some of you small don't waste them because my desire as your pastor, as one of your pastors, for the, every single one of you, teenagers, middle schoolers, 79-year-olders, 96-year-olders, that you will stand before Jesus and hear, well done. And I will be standing in the background saying, yes, that's what it was about. That's my, my goal to equip you for that day because it will come. And I want you to be ready. And I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to be excited to see the master. Just be faithful in the little thing. And it starts, y'all, in about 15 minutes when we leave. But for now, we're gonna sing. And we're gonna be singing joyfully. So if you don't wanna sing joyfully, you can leave. And the rest of us will stay and we'll sing joyfully. Why don't you stand with me and we will pray. Jesus, I thank you for your generosity to us and giving of yourself. I pray as we leave and we take the truth of these things to light, that you would... Use them in our hearts. Um, Lord, we want to be a generous church. We want to be good stewards. We want to be faithful with a little. And so help us to be. Show us what that looks like just this week. Give us opportunities to, to build into other people, to love people, to share the gospel with people, to reach people, to, to go and be your hands and feet, Lord. Give us those opportunities. I want us to be the most joyful, just kind church when people come here, seeing the gospel lived out in our lives. And so please do that. For your name's sake, I pray. Amen.